Released on Sunday, 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 October 1st, 2017. This Agile Life, episode 131. Great bathtubs. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hi, I'm John Sextro. Hi, I'm Nate Mackey. I'm Lee McCauley. And I'm Jason Tice. Welcome to This Agile Life. Nice job, Jason. Yes, John. It, it's so fitting. We've turned it to 60 minutes. No, we only take about 50. Well, we're just like 60 minutes. Which, if you're into trivia, you can go to Trivia Night and get some mileage out of that. Because a common question is, name the longest-running American television show that does not have theme music. Which is 60 minutes, because it's just that clock, tick, 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 tick. So, anyways, we're not going to talk about that tonight, are we, John? No, we're not. We had a deep tease last week. Uh, But before we get into that, I just want to take a moment to welcome Nate back to the show after many months of of being gone. And not just, you know, the podcast was gone for a while, but we fixed that now. So now we fixed not having Nate around, too, and we got him back on the show. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. I feel like I say that every time I come on the show. Yeah. (laughs) I know it's huge, huge amounts of time between when I can make it work, but I'm really glad to be here. Well, we sure enjoy it when you do when you can make it with us. Okay, so on to the tease. The tease last week was to uh, talk about Lee's topic of creating a save point, almost like in a game. So when you're playing, um, I don't know, what are the kids playing nowadays? Destiny Two or something, or uh, Call of Duty. Call of Duty, and right before you you're about to try something crazy. You'd like to save your game because if you don't save your game, you lose all your progress, right? Lee, that's the general idea. Why don't you take it from there? Yeah, that's that's the general idea. It was just one of those uh, off the hand, uh, off the cuff sort of uh, ideas that uh, the reason why uh, you you can play these games and always win is because you have infinite lives, right? You just save the game, do something stupid, try it. You experiment, you fail, you reload the game, you do it again, try something different. So obviously, it's not going to be quite that easy in real life, but how many times have you thought to yourself, for those of you who are gamers, and I bet there are a lot of you, uh, man, if I could just save my game in life and then be able to, to reload. So... I thought, okay, well, it's a really stupid, crazy idea, but is there a way for us to have uh, at least partially a similar effect on our projects? Is there a way for us to know when uh, when some specific, really uh, risky thing is that we're going to try something, and instead of just going through and trying it and then... Uh, being being uh, unable to turn back or or having to to eat that that uh, tech debt forever it seems it seems is there a way for us to note hey this is going to be a really chancy thing we're about to do let's 
put some some protections in place so that we can come back to this point and try something new. I have no idea if it's practical. I have no idea how you would go about doing it. That's why I came over to John and said, hey, John, I bet you're smart enough to figure this out. And surprise, I was not. <laughs> so we, we thought, hey, this would be good a good conversation to have on the show. And and to kick around and to see you know if it if it gins up any ideas in the brains of of other folks uh, out in the world just beyond the the four of us talking about it even so I, I thought well you know I, immediately I thought oh well you could just do like a a revert and get and, and go back and then that we're like yeah yeah sure you can do that that's the easy part if you just want to revert back some code that's the easy part of it there's your save point but it was this was more along the lines of you know, we we're at a at a pivot point in the project or something, and we're like, we really just want to try this crazy thing, but we don't want to hurt the timeline. We don't want to hurt the customer's perception of us uh, and what we're doing in any way. So, how could we like create a save point with them almost, or at least minimize it? Right. So, what do you guys think? I love this. I've done this before, um, and I've done it with uh, what I've been told some people think is a, a, a semi-controversial practice. Um, it does require a significant amount of customer trust, but it's what I call an allowable rework threshold. And so this is basically having an upfront conversation with your customer or your business sponsor to say that, you know what, we are probably going to make some mistakes, in the course of working together on this project. So let's talk about how much of those mistakes you would be willing to forgive us for and then use whatever that amount is, be it time or dollars, as a way to calibrate the rest of our delivery activities to align to that threshold. So you're, is this like a, you're, you, you buy a gimme? From the customer, you buy, you're like, you, okay, we'll 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 uh, we'll work out a deal here. You give us two a, a two week gimme window, and if you're a golfer, do you know what a gimme is or a, a mulligan? Yeah, Jason. That, yeah, that that's a yeah, that's a similar analogy. I think. I mean, what's unique about this, John? It's almost it's an upfront discussion about a conversation that we hope doesn't happen, but it's a way to say that, hey, you know what? Um, I've used it specifically with things like tech spikes to say that, you know, we're going to, as a team, agree to time box our tech spikes so we are forced to come up for air every few days, you know, so we can't go on the tech spike that lasts forever. And instead, we're going to force ourselves through agreement to have a time boxed inspection point to go back to the team and or the customer and say, hey, we've been working on this thing for three days. We still don't have an answer yet. We're still trying to figure it out. We still feel we're making progress. May we continue or... So it, I think Jason, what you were saying about time boxing and tech spikes is is important, and and that's that's something that I think you can do. And having an agreement with your your client or your product owner that that you're going to be able to take and and take it take some time to do a tech spike, knowing just fundamentally that spikes themselves are sort of a, a, a an exploration. It's a chance to learn something, and and ultimately it it. It turns out that there's a result, but a lot of times you like rework it, right? And so there's a certain yeah. expectation when you set this expectation around a spike, which is which that is good. 
and and yes, we can have spikes, and I think that's a way to do it. But I almost think that Lee, and this is going back to your original point, it still seemed to me like broader, larger than than just even a spike. Yeah, I mean, to some degree, we talk about this type of thing with retrospectives, right? We we say, oh, we're going to try this experiment, and then we're going to come back in a week or two weeks or whatever and reevaluate that. That's that's kind of what we're talking about here, but it goes – I, I want to go beyond that. I want to be able to say, okay, um, uh, we need to think about what it is we're about to do. Is there a way for us to – to take down, okay, this is this is where um, where we were when we started. So, in other words, have a baseline kind of built in for everything we're doing, uh, and then be able to uh, uh, to essentially pause that baseline and say, okay, here's our here's our cut point, and here is uh, here's what we're going to try, and let's come back to that later, and then essentially reset, go back to that. Um, the problem is, is that there's things like, okay, well, we, we need to hold some things constant. People, maybe uh, uh, maybe uh, the stories we were working, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I don't know what the what the the right uh, the way about going the right way to go about this might be. Um, the, the key to it, it seems like, it is you need that device from Men in Black that you flash in people's eyes and then they forget everything that happened <laughs> in the last few days. The flashy, the flashy thing. And that's the difference with an experiment. Yes, exactly. So that's, with an experiment, then you're saying we're going to try this, and we might go back to the way we were working before if it doesn't work. But you're you're almost wanting some way to not only say we'll we'll do things like we did before, but we'll actually pretend like all this never happened, and we'll start where we were before we did this experiment. Is that what you mean? Kind of. I mean, uh, I don't expect that to be practical, to be honest. Um, but uh, but having I think we get we get caught a lot in the idea of we've expended this effort for whatever it is. Maybe that's a technical effort. Maybe it's uh, it's time and trying to trying some new process or whatever. And people will just continue to to pile on top of that rather than ever going back and saying, OK, that really was a failure. Um, or um, that uh, and and even if they do that, they don't know exactly how to go about um, uh, about doing it in a in a nice way or in a clean way. And so that's what I'm really trying to get at is how do we how do we do that reset in a clean way that doesn't um, make people feel like they've just wasted a lot of their time. Yeah, I, I see where you're going, and I know Jason wants to uh, to go through his his deck of cards or something that he's he's got over there. He's given us the mad scientist look on on Skype, uh, but it sounds to me a little Lee like uh, like a the sunk cost paradox, where where you don't want to ever admit that you've thrown away something or that you've 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 lost an op- you've missed an opportunity or or money has sort of been spent less than effectively and so you keep you keep throwing more stuff and more money yeah. at it and and rather than than saying whoa whoa let's is that is that really what you're talking about like a sunk cost sort of issue yeah i mean that that's kind of what i'm getting at and and jason uh mentioned 
some part of that, which was, hey, you've got to have some it, some corroboration from the from the customer that says, um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna eat that or well, whatever, it, right? It's also or we're gonna share it or something. It, it's the principle. It's funny. It's what I call minding the garden. And really, I know we I know Amos isn't here tonight, but I wish Amos was because this is where we actually can have a a serious conversation about what creates a large enterprise. You know, when we get a big enterprise, you know, a big complex environment, what what results in that? And it really is this idea of saying, hey, we're going to try something new. You know, we're going to bring a new system or a new service online. And when we do that, we really don't take a step back to then assess that if we're successful with that. Can we get rid of something? Uh, we can make some very interesting um, uh, comments that if you look at how the scaled Agile framework has evolved over the last five years, it's currently 2017. So roll it back to 20, 2012. In 2012, the scale Agile framework was actually pretty simple. And if you look at it now, it's become, I mean, it's got every every type of methodology known to man in it which is, I think if you're just getting started, can actually lead you astray because there may be many things in that framework that are not relevant. And if you do you know, read the guidance from Dean Leffingwell, he will say specifically the framework is fit for purpose, but it's really hard to stay focused on that when you see that big picture with all that stuff up there. And so, so to me, Lee, something to think here is it is how do we have the discipline to say that, yes, we've adopted a new practice. We've maybe refactored our code. We've enabled a new microservice. And before I go on and I pull the next card from my backlog, I almost need what I would call like a purge column in my works, my workboard to say, is there something that I can clean up or get rid of as a result of what I've just done? And I think well, that's the, the the discipline that we don't have in an incremental fashion as a community. And instead, it's like all of a sudden, next thing, you know, oh, my goodness, we our team is bloated or we've got tech debt. And we realized that that was because we let things pile up and we didn't have the discipline, you know, as we completed things on a piecemeal basis to go back and, and mind the garden. What do you so, want to say to that? So um, I'm not sure that's completely on target to, to where I was trying to go with it. But um, think about like we're about to deploy a, a new release, right? Um, whenever you do that, use uh, hopefully you are going through the discipline of saying, okay, here's our rollback strategy, right? If this goes horribly wrong, here's how we roll this back. So uh, why can't we do that uh, with things that aren't technical? And I think part of that, so the first part of that is just being mindful of the fact that you're in a situation that you might want to actually think about this. Right. So part of it is is that is part that that you would get out of it, hopefully, would simply be that you're paying attention to the fact that you're in a situation that, oh, this could go wrong and I see a risk ahead. Right. And then figuring out, okay, if that risk hits, if something goes wrong, how do I roll back? How do I recover from that? And thinking about it ahead of time, um, it doesn't have to be anything groundbreaking or or strange it just has to go you just have to go through the the process of of thinking about how do i roll this back mm-hmm. and that's where i'm trying to go with it maybe it would help to think of an example of what you're talking about and and sort of walk through it yeah okay so um 
Let me see if I can think of one from from real life because those always are better. Um, so, so when I'm when I'm thinking about, we could start with something simple. But when I'm thinking about that, that might be hard. For example, is if if the experiment is maybe um, in an opportunity for someone else to have a leadership position, and you know, so they get a new kind of leadership position on the team, and you sort of going to see how this goes, and then if it doesn't work, we're going to go back to like it was. That can that can get into you know emotional and issues and self-confidence and things like that that are going to be hard to roll back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you might want to tread a little lightly there. But then there might be other things like, let's try out, we've never done pair programming before, and let's try that out. And what does that look like? And uh, how do we how do we go back to where it was if we decide it doesn't work? Right. I mean, those are those are all great examples. The, the one I was also thinking of was um, if you are uh, like splitting a team, You've got, oh, this team is just too large. We're stepping on each other all the time. Uh, we need two different teams to handle different pieces of this, right? How, uh, and, okay, that's, we're going to try that. Well, how, if this doesn't work, what's our rollback strategy? Or if this gets even worse, what's our rollback strategy? Do Are we going to bring the teams back together? Um, make sure we we can do that, right? That we're not doing something that's, that's going to leave us in a in a situation we can't recover from. I've, I know. I was say, Leah. I know. I've done the exact the team structure one with what I called, and there's all different variations of it. But what I called the experiment canvas as a retrospective activity, where as a team within the retrospective, we defined the scope of the experiment. We, if it's very much like an A3 from really from lean systems. So we would write down, this is what we're going to change. This is how we're going to do it. And this is the intended impact we think it will have on our baseline delivery data. So we could assess if it's working or not. And even go so far, if you're going to use the true A3 methodology from lean to say that we're going to try this for a period of three weeks. And if we do not see a percentage improvement of our delivery of our delivery cadence or of our delivery rate by X amount within three weeks, then we abandon and we go back to what we were doing because we didn't get the impact we were looking for and we try something else. I and, and sorry. And so I think no guys, what I was gonna say is I think what you were describing here is it really is having the lack of the discipline to as a team have a conversation, write these things down Either take a picture, put it on a wiki, do whatever, so everybody remembers and is in agreement about what the plan is, so then we can have a an inspection point and say, thumbs up, continue, thumbs down, go back. Yeah, um, this is shocking, but I 100% agree with it. Because that, that was exactly... Exactly what what I was thinking about when you were when you were going further into the detail on the examples, both Nate and and Lee in this case on on given the example was doing that exact thing and and going back to I go back even even to like seventh sixth seventh eighth grade talking about scientific method, just what is the hypothesis, uh, what is you know what are the success criteria, what are we going to do, what what happens if it and and then what happens if if the if we if we confirm that the solution doesn't solve the problem, which is still yeah. is still a result, right? It's a that's a valid outcome mm-hmm. of a scientific experiment. Is that you discover that it doesn't cure, you know, 
the polio or whatever it is. And so you go, oh, well, we figured out that that's one way not to make the light bulb. Yeah. And the thing that I want to share is kind of cool that I know actually the organization that all, all four of us may or may not actually work for. Uh, once upon a time, you know, we had this idea, hey, we want every team to be doing an experiment. And what we anticipated was that some of these experiments may work for some teams, but may not work for others. So then we did a, a wonderful um, element of our corporate history called the science fair, which was where we asked teams to come and share their experiments and say, you know, hey, you know what? If it didn't work out for you, that's okay. Because maybe by sharing that experiment, somebody else will say, hey, hey, okay, I understand that didn't work for your team because of contextual factors, but maybe it would work for us. And then there was a whole thing that happened with a pizza party and a controversy and a bunch of incentive or a bunch of intrinsic or extrinsic award. It almost Daniel Pink fell out of the sky. And right, it was I, lots of fun. You're off now, in some rabbit hole again. So I know I always. So, do, but, but, well, so I think, what about what about a more difficult situation or something that's a little harder to, to recover from, like a uh, a basic architectural decision? Right. Um the type of database you're going to use. Well, we're going to use um, an Oracle database versus a NoSQL, right? That could be huge from a from a technical perspective as well. And you may not know whether it's a good decision or a bad decision quickly enough. It, is there a way to to recover from those types of things as well? Well, and that's the kind of thing that that worries me because uh, that's when you can start worrying about. Uh, Hearing when you when you say okay we're going to pick a database but we want to be able to switch out at some point if we don't like it uh, you're going to start thinking about all the ways that you need to work around that and the different layers of abstraction you need to create and uh, you're going to create a lot of overhead for a decision that you may never make so that's you know I was I was thinking as as we're going through all of this that I think there are some decisions that you can make where you can think about what the rollback plan is and and make a take a small step so that you can roll back there are other there are some points though where you have to just take the leap on some level and recognize that if if that doesn't work it's not just a simple rollback it's kind of a reboot or a start over um we you know jason was talking about the organizational type stuff i think we've always been very wary of taking steps that are hard to roll back we want to take steps that if we say this doesn't work then we can just stop it and go back to how things were if we go too far with any organizational decision then and and we're not able to roll back that's when that's when we get scared about making that kind of decision so that, that maybe that's the kind of conversation the team should be having well, and there's one other thing that I want to draw, really, I want to say, d- redirect our focus to here, because what we're talking about here, especially like with technical decisions, like you just proposed, Lee, is we're talking about teams making a decision in a vacuum. And so I'm just going to say, and again, everyone knows my mindset, I do tend to think about large, complex environments. If you are a development team working in a large, complex, call it a big enterprise or whatever, um, guess what? There are organizational factors around you that impact your existence. Like, hey, guess what? We have an enterprise license for Oracle, so we can we have an Oracle farm. We can go do anything in Oracle. So you know what? If we need a data store, it may make sense to use Oracle because there's a lower total cost of ownership if we build on the Oracle platform. 
So what I would encourage teams to do, and I'm going to say this is relevant for pretty much anybody who's writing code, unless you're truly the seven people in a startup trying to change the world, working on your own, working with your own money, is that look around you and invite some of those other people or those other teams to collaborate with you and share their perspectives. Um, something that a lot of companies have is like a like a, a common thing. It's called a tech radar. Um, I know, again, the organization that the four of us may or may not work for, we have our own version of this. So what I would encourage teams to do is acknowledge that you have a tough decision to make, but go out and get some feedback from people around you and see if that informs your decision. And if there are factors that maybe can mitigate some of the risks to, to rolling back that we're talking about here. I, th- I think that's good advice. I, I also think that, you know, we sort of tend to boil things down to sometimes overly simplistic um, considerations. But in this particular case, Lee, and in your problem space with this, I think that, that just communicating in an organized fashion where you're sort of really laying things out structurally and, and saying, here's what we're going to do. Here's what here's what the decision tree looks like in regard to what we're doing here's here are the here are the potential outcomes like you said this base architectural issue we talk we we joke a lot uh, about the last responsible moment and how we we often on the show go past the last responsible moment with things we're trying to do but you know that's that's another consideration is is this the is this the right spot to make a decision like that but when you do get to that point it is sort of this important inflection point where you say, now this is sort of fundamental, and if we do this, there's a cost or there's there's a cost trade-off maybe of we, we lose some flexibility for making this decision, It's but it's having that communication to, to make sure everybody's on the same page about that so that they understand if we do have to undo something like this, it's, it's, it's a fundamental change it's like a scrap and rewrite like uh like yeah. nate said and i like the idea of thinking about the consequences and thinking about what the rollback looks like it reminds me of the migrations in ruby on rails where you you can uh, have the power to create database changes in your code and have them happen when you deploy but you're also at the same time prompted for, okay, well, how do I undo this? How do I roll this back? And you have to think through that at the very beginning. What does this look like to roll this back? And that's a good exercise, a good discipline to have for all these kinds of changes. If we try this experiment, what what if it doesn't work and how do we roll it back? That should be part of every conversation. And I, I want to emphasize something that uh, John said and uh, Jason mentioned a bit as well, which is uh, having that communication specifically with your customer that hey this is the decision we're making this is how it could go wrong uh and here's the risk involved if we have to change this decision uh so i think having that uh that customer uh be completely in the loop is paramount so i think it's time to let jason play with his cards and tell us what this is so he stops flashing a, the cards at me i'm afraid this is going to turn into a 
commercial for a product that's not for sale. Well, so because Lee, what you're describing <laughs> here, it is, I, I said this is when you describe it. Um, I said this is a, this is the fundamental use case of what's called Let's Be Awesome, uh, which was a collaboration that I worked on with a real life customer where we created a really a versioned collaboration framework to decide what is most important for us to have a great relationship. And so the way it works real simple is because what I see a lot, we start projects and I know people that are coaches that do awesome kickoffs and inceptions and the team is set up for success. And we, we talk about what are the working agreements we need to have, you know, to get the team, to get the project started. And then we, sometimes we, we forget about those and we don't ever go back and revisit them. And next thing you know, something goes really, really, really wrong. And so what Let's Be Awesome is, it is and it's it's published, I, I presented it at Agile 2016, so it's out there, it's Googleable. Uh, it is a it is a structured collaboration framework where you and your customer, you and your team can sit down and you say, what are our most important needs at this time? And there are 24 of them that you end up choosing from, you pick four to five of them and you prioritize them from top to bottom. Like an example is, hey, the customer and the team need to collaborate on their technical architecture. That's something that maybe we need to focus on because we need to decide, are we going to use a SQL database or a NoSQL database? You guys talk through, you decide that. After you pick needs, then you go on and you say, well, guess what? What are we going to do to address these needs? And you pick practices. And we have lots of practices. We actually have 68 of them currently that are all different things. Well, you pick from the list and it's designed to make you think. Again, it's a collaboration framework, okay? So you pick what makes sense. Like maybe you pick time time box architecture spikes. Maybe you pick you're going to have an architecture mob session on a Friday. All those are in there. So you pick that. You pick pick what you're going to do. And then again, there's a few other things, but just kind of hitting the highlights here. The last thing that you and your customer decide is you decide how are we going to measure if this is working? And you pick metrics that you could use to assess you know effectiveness and you discuss this up front this is all done as john mentioned i have cards for this because these are giant cards that you put on a table so you play this and guess what when you're done you take a picture and you have a time stamped version of how you and your customer have decided to work together and then what, what what we did in real life on a few projects that I've been involved where we actually use this method is every week, every two weeks, we get back together. We look at what we chose last time and we say, hey, what needs to change? How have the needs of our project changed since we last met? And we change the cards and we work through the board again. And guess what? We end up uh, we end up changing our process a little bit. But the framework itself It goes back to what I mentioned earlier. It forces you to say, okay, we're not going to do that anymore because we solved that problem. So we don't need to worry about those practices anymore. Instead, it keeps us focused on what is most relevant at the present time. So – um, and I apologize because it's hard to talk about it because it is a visual framework that you play with a t- with a team. So um, I encourage I'll put it in the show notes. You can go check it out if you want to see it online. Um, and it occasionally does run at conferences if you see me out and about. I always have it with me, so just ask me to do it, and we can do it right there. So, what do you think, but is- Lee? What do you think about that? Um, I don't know. I I think that that's a that seems like a, a great way to start. Um, and it's a great tool to make sure that your communication yeah, is, good point. is going well. It's a well. tool. It is a tool. Yeah. I want to emphasize that. So it's again, tools are all about influencing behavior. And if the behavior is not influenced by people following the tool, then guess what? All bets off. So I think the important thing that it it does is remind us to 
to, to just set some basic ground rules or table stakes or working agreements and the like, and then re- revisit them from time to time. I think in, in, in nearly 100% of the cases where there's been some sort of a, a disagreement about an outcome or about a decision that then led to uh, a, an, an unwanted outcome or a, a poor outcome, the thing that the, that the product owner or the, the customer, however you look at it, always said was, I wish I wish, I, I just wish that I would have had more information and known about the decision and the, and the potential impacts of the decision that we were going to make. Have you guys heard that in association with, uh, with this line of thinking, Lee, and is this maybe part of how you got to this topic? Where somebody yeah. said, I, I wish, I just wish I had known more about what we were doing, the decision we are making, and the impact that it would have. Yeah, I, I am uh, uh, transitioning onto a new uh, team or set of teams um, right now. And one of the things that I am taking from that experience is the fact that, uh, and, and also what I'm getting from you guys here is that it's about the discipline of thinking about uh, when those when those points happen and being totally transparent with your customer and with your team and everybody that that's involved. Uh, to me, that's that's where I'm taking this. It's not it's not as much about how do you do it now. It's more about making sure that you you're in a habit of thinking about it and trying to figure out what your what your strategy is. Yeah. And again, what I see, and again, I can tell real life experiences and you guys who listen to this Agile Life out there, you know who you are because some of you are going to get mentioned here anonymously is I think in Agile, in the Agile community, what I see is we are really good at starting projects. Uh, we have great kickoffs. We write working agreements. We do team chartering. Um, I've seen organizations that invest like two or three days to like do product inceptions where where they cover the wall with like, here's the vision of this product and stuff. Uh, and it's really intended to provide a vision and goals for teams to work towards for, um, you know, for uh, I want to say a few months or, or even maybe a, a year of work. The problem is we do that at the inception of a project and then we forget to go back to it because we forget that things start to change. And most most importantly, on a project, we're learning. So guess what? Those also by D revised changed since january and it's now six months later and i'm like uh what happened why and, and we wonder why we, we've lost focus and we're we're concerned we may not make our september deadline that kind of stuff well it's because the discipline you had to promote mindfulness about what we're trying to do what are the goals what are the success criterias which was reinforced through those activities to build all that stuff we lost focus on it because all we did was just start coding. And so, Lee, I, I really appreciate you bringing this up tonight because, again, my whole innovation team that, that, I, that I lead, we really focus on this aspect of mindfulness and saying that, guess what? We've got to do some, some ideation to get focused on goals and objectives to kick off a project. But then throughout the project, we do need to go back to it to assess are we still aligned and have things changed in our context that we should consider to incorporate into our delivery plan – or 
Do we nudge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, we see that coming. But you know what? We think we can make it. We're not going to worry about that. And everyone can agree that yes, you know what? We acknowledge that's a risk. But we acknowledge also we're not going to focus on it now because we we have criteria to say otherwise. But that's the discipline I think that as a community we need to improve upon. Here, here. And Lee, I was just going to say because I could pull real life things you just described out of the Let's Be Awesome deck to say that you know, team uh, Lee, I think you and your customer need to work on it. You need to have an you need to do some type of an activity where you establish transparent criteria. For, you know, how do you define quality? Because that's what you said. That's in the deck. You need you and your customer need to decide what mechanism you are going to use to communicate status about what's going on and how decisions are made so that ideally your team is communicating to the same channel that your customer is listing on. We've all seen that where the team uses Slack, but the customer reads email, right? That don't go over so well if you haven't tried it. So um, and then also. What are we going to do to have a single place that as a customer, we agreed to how we're going to manage and communicate risk? So ideally, we have a single sheet. I sometimes call it a risk radar that everyone puts the risks up there. The team looks at it and they prioritizes the risks and the customer gives us feedback. The customer can baseline the risks based upon their perspective and we can decide which ones do we focus on. So those are all in the Let's Be Awesome deck as things that you and your customer may decide are relevant to focus on. I will definitely Google that uh, or uh, click on the link in our show notes. Uh, click on like this. And what's funny is everyone out there, the problem about Let's Be Awesome, everyone jokes about is how do you get the cards? Because the cards, you have to print them and cut them up. It's a project. So um, for those that don't know, when I make card sets, I got my kids in to help me out now because my kids are old enough to cut up cards. It's awesome. So, Lee, any do uh, you think there's any wrap-up to do, or Nate, do you have any additional points? Otherwise, I think this might be a natural break point. Yeah, the only other thing I would say is that uh, kind of goes along with, with Jason's uh, comments is that we need to think about those points in the project where whether we meant for it to or not, things have changed. Like some, some fundamental change has happened. Uh, for us, because of the nature of the work that we do, it's when one of our primary stakeholders changes. And sometimes we forget that when someone new walks in, they don't have all the context that everybody else has. It's like the reverse of what he's talking about, where they they come in with no memory and they now have to learn what is involved. And that might be a great time to do this uh, let's be awesome review of where should we be going? What should we be working on when you have that kind of fundamental change as a signal for the team to maybe refocus and, and go in a new direction? Yeah, or what I would say is, I mean, really from lean, I mean, like if you're familiar with like the Toyota, the Toyota production system, there are forced inspection points triggered by staff change events like you just described, Nate. And so I'd say, you know, guess what? If if we have a new team member or we have a customer change that there, you know, I'd say that's something that even like, you know, if we're, if we're developing software, why don't teams have a forced inspection point where, you know, effectively if our primary stakeholder changes that we say, guess what we call timeout for a day and we effectively do some kind of a rechartering or a rebaseline event with that new customer. So they are aware of what we're doing. They aware, they are aware of where we are and then they can provide some guidance. Um, 
again, Toyota does that. Uh, various parts of the the armed forces here in the states have again when there's a changing of command, there's a very set process they follow for how that's done. Uh, so I would say that those types of protocols would provide a lot of benefit to any really benefit in terms of safety to any software team because i'm sorry i i don't know of a software team that's working anywhere in the world right now that's not like impacted by a reorg right kind of happens all the time it seems right so my concern is we might do these inspection points too much but i think right now as a community we don't do them enough is what i hope if you're listening to us you get from this and again if you had a if you had an awesome if you're on a team and you had an awesome chartering and a kickoff event you know eight months ago and you haven't done any of that chartering type stuff where you revisit your charter, your working agreements, you know, what your customers think success is. And that's that's the customer themselves telling you, not like someone else, like the customer needs to talk to you about that. Uh, you really need to call time out and go do that and um, and get your product owner or get an advocate involved who can connect the team with the appropriate people to provide that assurance that you're on the right track and really invite that customer to give you feedback and collaborate with you. I think your I think your point's good, Jason, uh, and and I think it's been a good discussion. But I just want to go on the record as saying I'm not down with no forced inspections. This week's hottest picks. Okay, Nate, what do you have for your picks? Well, uh, my pick is came from actually my daughter's boyfriend. He's a uh, he's a theater major. Um, at uh, Northwestern University in Chicago. And uh, he found out through the theater program that there was this cool way to get involved in narrating audiobooks as as an amateur. It's called the Audible Content Exchange. So what Audible does is it links up, uh, you know, amateur authors or authors with a small um, base with people who like to do, you know, uh, voice work or uh, producing, producing of uh, audiobooks, and you can, it just creates a, a whole exchange where you can either get paid for your time, or you can take a share of the royalties, and uh, you audition, and get hired by the author, and you do the uh, book, and then uh, you're able to put it out on the regular Audible, Amazon, um, you know, stores out there, and when people buy them, you can get a portion back if you're doing it by royalties. So it's really interesting and really cool that 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 exists out there and that all these people have the opportunity to have their book uh, narrated as an audiobook and add that to uh, whatever they're supplying for their fans. So really cool thing. I thought that was awesome and uh, I hadn't heard about it before. So I'm getting the word out there. Is there a, is there a book that this person, you know, has, has helped with that we might be able to listen to? Oh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I haven't asked him. I think mainly he's done like nonfiction books, like self-help books and stuff. I'll have to find out. But yeah, I don't I don't have one yet. We've got the microphones and stuff. We could be a whole cottage industry <laughs> for this Agile Life recording. Absolutely. We should like team up on it. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, they, from voices and a story. That'd Jason awesome. could do all the big enterprise voices. And... <laughs> <laughs> Rawr! <laughs> Hey, hey, look who's coming to visit. All right, Lee, what's your picks for the week? So, interestingly enough, speaking of Northwestern in Chicago, I spent the weekend with my daughter uh, touring colleges, including Northwestern uh, in Chicago, and we stayed at a really great bed and breakfast that 
one of my rare non-technical picks. Uh, so this is the Welcome In Manor in Chicago. Uh, and I thought they were great. Mel and Angie were awesome as hosts. So I just want to give them a plug. Very cool. I'm afraid to stay in a bed and breakfast. Oh my goodness, I'm cracking up. If, you, if you're an if you're a uh, uh, an introvert like I am, it does take a little bit a little bit of effort because you're actually expected to talk to the people that are staying. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, I don't want to talk too. to anybody. I think we should do a deep tease about how once upon a time. Jason and Lee stayed in a bed and breakfast in Boulder Canyon together. Now, not <laughs> not in the oh. same room, but it was a B and B in Jason, that Boulder was, Canyon. They had some great so. bathtubs. Oh, the bath! <laughs> oh yes, the bathtubs and the big dog. Oh man, that place was off the. Look, I'll put that. I think it was the Boulder Canyon bed and breakfast. Ah, whatever. It was awesome. All right, All this right. is becoming a travel podcast. Wonderful. <laughs> Okay. All right, so I got I got to do some picks, right? So I did yeah. mention it during the show. Yes, I have this thing that I created with a real life customer. Thank you, Kevin, wherever you are these days. Actually, I saw him just today, so he's doing awesome. Uh, we do have this thing called Let's Be Awesome. I'll admit here, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's kind of all over the place right now with versioning because we have an original version. We have what we call version 2.0, which adds metrics to it, which was kind of a neat thing to add those. And uh, coming for 2018, actually, we are uh, building a DevOps version of Let's Be Awesome, which helps you figure out which DevOps practices you should adopt to um, add some sanity to how you're managing your technical environments and doing automation and stuff. So, so there's a whole bunch of Let's Be Awesome stuff out there. So we'll put some links in the show notes. Go check it out. Um, it does allow you it's designed to promote team safety and really enable teams to have kind of a fun collaborative conversation and you arrange them into whatever tradition I have week's live event is we're going to plug uh lean agile kansas city coming up on november 7th 2017 that's troy tuttle and jenny tar wars conference and a whole bunch of other awesome folks in the kansas city uh metro area if you're in the if you're in the midwest uh highlight this year for me is troy mcginnis is going to be there to do one of their keynotes and of course troy is um as we as i like to say well, one of the fathers of the no estimates movement although that's contested but he's going to be talking about again no estimates practices uh ways to do agile money ball various ways that you could use monte carlo forecasting to um do rather i want to say smart things to figure out when you will finish uh delivery milestones so come join us uh again lean agile kansas city november 7th 2017 troy mcginnis keynote and then also uh, about i think she's up to about 36 other conference sessions we're gonna have an open jam we're gonna do all kinds of crazy fun stuff so join us in the kansas city area and john back to you Oh, thanks, Jason. Anytime I he- anytime I see or uh, hear Troy's name, all I can think of is Troy McClure from The oh. Simpsons. You may know me from such Agile conferences as Agile New England 2015, and he sh- that's your- <laughs> he should make that part of his shtick. I don't. He probably doesn't. He's probably not as funny as I am, though, so it wouldn't work too well. It's true. It's true. It's hard, though. <laughs> okay, my pick is. Uh, is a dangerous one because there was a point in my life, it wasn't too long ago, about a month or so, 
where I got super addicted to this game that I'm picking, and it's called Factorio with an IO at the end. Um, you can go to factorio.com. It's an awesome, it's an awesome game, and it's it's a it's there's a lot of lean. There's a lot you can use lean and agile concepts in it, and the whole idea of the game is is building a network uh, and a series of of uh, manufacturing devices that that produce other things, consumables that are used to produce other things, and so on. And so there's you know like lean lean and lean Toyota lean sort of. Um, concepts that you can use to optimize your your supply chain in, in building these different things. And there's some aliens involved that you can kill if you like killing aliens, which is just sort of a random thing that's tossed in on top. I'm not exactly sure yeah, how this not? all fits together, but, you know, right. I mean, anytime you can kill a few aliens, why not? The game is available to buy and download, but it's uh, it's like pre-release. It's It's not, it hasn't gone into full production so you're playing a pre-released game so factorio.com all right those are our picks for this episode thanks everyone for listening hope you enjoyed the show hey nothing to deep tease this week so you just have to come the deep tease is there is no deep tease so come back next time to see what happens on the next episode of this agile life and jason and will there be another right that's the deep tease really honestly is (laughs) and will jason ever, ever be back Come on, John. We want to talk about my giant poop emoji here. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.